You're listening to If Only I Were Wiser podcast, where Raina Wilson brings together wisdom and raw life stories to provide encouragement and truth. So many times it's easy to become discouraged in your own pursuit of health because your story or circumstances look drastically different from your favorite influencer or even the expectations you had for yourself. If that is you, welcome. This space is for you to learn, breathe, and maybe just listen and see what wellness could look like for you. Hey friends, welcome back to the If Only Our Wiser podcast. I'm so excited to share today's episode with you as I share a sweet friend of mine, Brianna White. Bree and I met in college at TCU and has done a lot of life together, but now she is a registered nurse and over the past few years she has worked in pediatric home health here in Texas before she moved to Cincinnati, where she works at UCMC as a postpartum and antepartum nurse. She has been married to her husband, Caden, for three years and lives with her two doggos in Cincinnati. So for today's show, she shares a little bit about her own story working in Western medicine with her own personal holistic health approach, as well as her own journey into motherhood. It's such a rich conversation, so let's dive in. Hey, Brie, welcome to the If Only Our Wiser podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Yeah, can you already know a lot of these things, but I would love to share for you to share from your perspective, what does your family look like right now? Um, what does life look like right now? Uh, just a little bit more about you. Yeah, I'm Bree. I am a registered nurse. I live in Cincinnati with my husband and our two Labrador retrievers who are super energetic. Um, and life for me, like literally right this moment, looks like being 22 weeks pregnant on bed rest, <laughs> uh, not working, and being advised to kind of scale back my life in terms of cooking um, our twins a little bit longer. So that's literally what life looks like. <laughs> Crazy. Man, we miss you guys for sure. I know. Wish you were back in Texas, but I guess we'll share you guys <laughs> with everyone else up there. Um, so I'd love to just dive in more about your um, experience as a nurse, and then we'll kind of roll into all things motherhood as a twin mama. Man, your whole story there. <laughs> so let's start with your story as a nurse. Like, how did you decide to become a nurse? Um Backstory, Brie and I went to TCU together, so it was really fun to share that season. But how did you choose nursing? Yeah, um, this really kind of starts back in high school, as I'm sure it does for a lot of people. I always thought I wanted to be a doctor, like the idea of science and medicine and things like that was always super intriguing to me. But there were two things that kept me from wanting to be a doctor, one being it's a lot of schooling, and it's so good for so many people, and I'm so glad that we have doctors and providers but I realized like 12 plus years was not for me. <laughs> and secondly, realizing, again, we need doctors. They provide a lot of great services, but I wanted to be more hands-on with patients. And at least this was my like idea back in high school. It's like how it worked. It seemed as though, you know, nurses spend a lot of their shift and a lot of their time. If you're talking inpatient, they do a lot of the like one-on-one -on -one care in um, a clinic setting, things like that, home health, all of those different ways um, or I guess areas you can be a nurse. Um, they just always seemed a lot more hands-on. 
And now that I am a nurse, I can kind of speak to that, that as an, as a nurse in a hospital inpatient, I do spend a lot more time with the patient. And then I call the doctors with concerns or questions or things like that. And so um, that was part of it for me was like, I wanted to be hands-on. I wanted to be like right there with the patient in the trenches as they're going through or fighting through whatever it is. So how has that been for you? Um, Because I know we kind of started this crunchy um, lifestyle pretty early on together. Um, What has that been like to have the convictions of a more holistic perspective, but you also work at the bedside in a hospital setting? (laughs) And hospitals are notoriously like not the most holistic. (laughs) Anti-crunchy. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I work in women's health, I, uh, the unit that I work on does antepartum and postpartum care. So we see, which is not typical, but we're a high um, level maternity ward. And we see patients that are on bed rest or need fetal monitoring or, you know, mom needs monitored, a variety of things that a mom would be put in the hospital for while still pregnant prior to labor and delivery. And we also see them. That's antepartum. That's antepartum. Is prior to labor and delivery. Okay. Yep. And then postpartum afterwards in all of its glory, um, helping the mamas and the babies um, during their time in the hospital, those like first Mm -hmm. like four to five days. So that's kind of what I do just for frame of reference. But in terms of balancing my ideas on holistic approaches versus what I see done in the hospital, I think... I think something that I've had to realize is that I personally think that they can coexist. I think Western medicine and inpatient care and like seeing the hospital side of things, there are things that are necessary. There are practices that are necessary, procedures, things like that. But at the same time, I see the benefit to the holistic side or some of the more like preventative side. Sometimes that's what people like you know, the crunchy holistic is like, hey, how can we prevent some of these things from happening? Not completely. Like there are ways to treat things holistically. Right. There are preventative things. There are treatments that can happen more holistic than just like jumping to the first thing that one doctor says. (laughs) And I've had to be an advocate in those things too um, for my patients. It's like, hey, like instead of jumping straight to that, can we like try this first or hey, can I recommend this? Like that's literally a role of a nurse is to be an advocate, to be able to be that kind of middleman between doctors and patients um, because we spend so much time hands-on with them. Um, That's kind of part of that too. Do you have any things like off the top of your head? I have a couple uh, that I personally use as an advocate for myself or that suggestions you would make for your pregnancy season and then your postpartum season or even labor and delivery, I guess. So we can start with a pregnancy yeah, kind of tips and simple ways to advocate for yourself. If you find yourself, um, you know, in a hospital setting. Yeah. Um, gosh, we see moms on antepartum for a variety of things. Like I was saying, sometimes it's babies, sometimes it's the moms, um, it's, diseases or comorbidities. Sometimes it's something that's going on, like just specifically with the pregnancy. So anyways, we see a variety of things. And I think this isn't like a specific example, but one thing that I wish that patients understood is that they, and that I try to like help them understand is like, Hey, even though they're recommending X, Y, Z, you are allowed to 
definitely ask questions. And also you're allowed to decide what you would like. Um, it is your care, right? The idea of like autonomy, the right to autonomy, the right to making your own decision, um, as long as you're capable mm-hmm. of making your own decision. Right. Um, I know that's a really like broad one, but in terms of inpatient, I feel like a lot of times we just see moms that are signing consents and saying yes and just doing it because a provider or someone of authority said so um, when it's not necessarily what they have to do or there may be other options or they didn't Mm -hmm. think to ask for other options. I'm thinking through because I know you've definitely been one of the people I've gone to over the course of my pregnancy and postpartum to have the encouragement as an advocate for like your role as nurse, but also encouragement as the patient myself. So some of the things we, I remember, have tossed back and forth um, tangibly in pregnancy, we've talked about, um, oh, goodness, like weight. Like if you go in for your prenatal appointments, that was like a really big thing for me coming Mm -hmm. out of like an eating disorder straight into pregnancy. I actually, I think, saw it on Instagram. I think you can do it for any actually primary care appointment, but specifically in pregnancy, with the fear of weight gain and all the other lies, I think that come around body image during that season, you can actually turn around or like ask to not see your your weight on the scale during your initial like measurements. So that was super encouraging for me. And then I think, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Gosh, the glucose test. Aren't there like other options for that too? (laughs) The glucose test. There are the classic, just the always dreaded and talked about glucose test. I actually haven't done it yet because I'm only 22 weeks long. Um, and okay. inpatient, we do it occasionally. That's definitely more like clinic setting. But we do have some moms because it's typically done around 28 weeks. We have some moms that need to get it done because they happen to be in the hospital at that point. The point of glucose, te- glucose testing, of course, being that they're going to test for gestational diabetes. Um, and high blood sugar in general, regardless like pregnancy or not, is not a good thing. We don't want blood sugar to consistently be high. That's when we're approaching, you know, mm-hmm. diabetes, diabetic ketoacidosis, like all these crazy things that can, can actually be life threatening. So of course in pregnancy, they want to make sure you don't have gestational diabetes. Well, there are other ways that you can do it than drinking like the orange yeah. drink, the <laughs> dreaded orange drink. <laughs> um, and a doctor, again, typically they will either run a one-hour or a three-hour glucose tolerance test on you. The differences depends on like how much you drink, whether you're fasting beforehand, how often they draw your blood sugar. Those are like the differences. But I think what people don't know is that, one, you can actually deny it. Again, that idea of right to autonomy. Hmm, I did not know <laughs> you that. You can deny it. Um, wow. You can, I mean, you as a nurse and an advocate, I technically am supposed to say, you can deny anything. You don't have to say yes. Right, right. Of course, like talk to your doctor and make those decisions with your doctor. I'm not like, you know, trying to be your provider. But one thing that I found super interesting about like the classic orange drink, and this goes into a little extra detail, but it has the, it's the Easy Dex uh, drink by Aeromed, I think it's the like company or the brand. Um, has an ingredient called BVO or brominated vegetable oil. And 
it is also used in like, I think it was like 10 or 15% of soft drinks in the United States. And it's meant to keep flavoring from like floating to the top of the drink. So it keeps it all intermixed. I can understand why that ingredient would like quote be necessary. Yeah, fair it's enough. It's also patented as a flame retardant. Lovely. Um, which like when I read that, I was like, I'm so, why am I drinking this then? Um, yeah. No way. <laughs> There's all kinds of information. You don't even want flame retardants. That was one of the things I first read, I think, when we found out we were pregnant was like, avoid flame retardants in clothes and your car seat. That's yeah, not funny, but kind of yep. funny. I'm not really surprised. <laughs> I, yeah, like mattress. And now that I'm in that like season of like researching, it's like your car seats and the mattress your baby mm-hmm. sleeps on and yeah. all the clothing and this and that. It's like, why do we even offer pregnant women things that do have that so just drink it (laughs) yeah why are pregnant women drinking this (laughs) so just like a little interesting tidbit that like maybe the average person doesn't know or didn't look up prior to showing up to the office and they're like hey i need you to take this drink and you're gonna go to the lab in an hour and get your blood sugar drawn and it's like okay i'll just drink it i you know i didn't look it up but that's part of the like the aspect of your own care in terms of like researching those things yeah prior to the point of them happening because in the moment of course it can feel really overwhelming and you're like well i don't know enough to say no so i guess i'll just say yes exactly other options that I was like looking into, you can get your hemoglobin A1C tested at the end of your first slash beginning of your second trimester. And that is going to look back on the past three months of blood sugar. It's like an average. So there's really no way to hide. Your hemoglobin A1C can't change drastically suddenly because it was a three-month average. Right. Um, right. So that's one way to kind of tell where was your blood sugar at prior to this point in pregnancy um, and like going forward into your pregnancy. In general, that one-hour blood sugar test is 50 grams of sugar, um, Uh and you have to drink it within five minutes. So that's just so you know. The three-hour, I think, is 100 grams of sugar. Oh, my goodness. So that's a lot. That's a lot for anyone's body. Wow. Yeah, I did not know that. Then I remember drinking it with, like, the stress of, like, the nurse, like, standing there, this older woman, you know. That all her job is like to hand these like waddling pregnant women this like orange drink. And even I think just the pressure of like, make sure you finish it in the next five minutes. And she's like standing there with her watch as I like pop the lid. (laughs) Doesn't help. Yes. Yeah. Like that adds stress. A lot of women have nausea in pregnancy and drinking 50 grams of sugar in five minutes would make anybody nauseous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I actually remember them saying, like, if you throw this up, we're going to have to do the test anyways. Yeah, we're going to have to do it, or we're going to do it again, or we're going to drink it, whatever it is. Like, that's no fun for anybody. (laughs) So some of the other alternatives, the hemoglobin A1C, you can eat 28 jelly beans, you can eat two and a half bananas. All of these are still, like, within that five-minute window. Huh, okay, yeah, I could do bananas. Banana, like, two and a half bananas, that's not terrible. Um, typically if you're going to eat a banana, we like recommend eating it with like a fat or a fiber or like, you know, protein, Mm -hmm. like balance out that carb load, Right. 10 strawberry Twizzlers. And then, Oh, that one also sounds more fun. (laughs) Like, 
I love Twizzlers. I know it's still sugary and we're getting into the yeah. dye conversation and blah, blah, blah. But I, I really love Twizzlers. Uh, and then there's a couple different like types of like fruit juice and different quantities, um, like ounce quantities that you can drink. Okay. So those are just some like alternative to the orange, dreaded orange drink. Um, anyway, that was a lot more information than I was like. No, I, that was awesome. Thank you for that. Hope I didn't scare anybody, but it's just like, ah, once you start looking into it. No, I feel so much more encouraged. Next time, I'm going to just go in and be like, give me my Twizzlers, ma'am. <laughs> oh, and I forgot about the other one. You can talk to your doctor about um, patterning your blood sugars over the course of like, I think it's like a minimum of four days, but basically taking a... Uh, one hour blood sugar check after your breakfast, your lunch, and your dinner, and then a mm-hmm. bedtime sugar, I think is the fourth. So you, you would pat, you would check your blood sugar four times a day for a few days, make sure that like what you're eating isn't skyrocketing your blood sugar. Um, so that's another option too. Huh? Yeah. And that's just something with your daily life. That's super helpful. Thank you. I'm thinking labor and delivery you hit the nail on the head earlier talking about you actually have the ability to deny anything. I wish I had known that, which again, I think it, there just comes a lot of fear in general because not even that I went into my birth, um, not even uneducated because like you and I had this conversation prepping for my labor and delivery, but it's all the emotions. You know, we were called for our induction. One of the things that I think about is you can actually turn down your induction bed, um, which I didn't know that. So we actually like turned down the bed that they offered us at least the first two or three times. Again, my son cooked a little bit longer. We were actually really fine. That's a story for another day. Um, Okay. But I, yeah, I went to the hospital for non-stress test and she was like, well, like if you leave now, not in the kindest of words, but basically it was like, you know, you're not a very wise mother and you're putting your baby at risk every moment that you're still pregnant. And I was just like, oh, so she was like, here's this piece of paper. Basically, if you leave, which we live down the street, all I had asked for was to go home and pack my bags because like emotionally, I was like, I'm going to come home with a baby, (laughs) which is kind of scary. We live right around the corner. Can I like pack my home? Like, can I just like have a moment with my husband where I can like collect myself and pray and process the fact that the next time we walk through these doors, we're going to have a baby. She said no. And was like, here's your consent form that basically says, like, I don't know, you're a horrible human, you know, or you're turning down medical advice. That's how I heard it in my brain. But yes, I think that was just one of the biggest. The leaving against medical advice. (laughs) Yes. So that's one of the things that I think of for labor and delivery. And then one more before I think you actually told me this was while you're pushing, you can bring or at least I packed in my hospital bag to avoid an episiotomy, I don't even know if you say it that way, whatever, when they catch you, (laughs) episiotomy, maybe, Um, you can use coconut oil. And I think you had mentioned you had been a part of births where they just use soap. Yes. So that's another option. I actually brought coconut oil with us just in case because I was like, shoot, man, Bree said we could... They need, they'll have soap just in case, but might yeah. as well bring our coconut oil to get the slippery baby out. <laughs> yeah. When I was doing my transition to clinical or capstone semester or whatever in nursing school, um, I was on a labor and delivery unit. And that's mm. just so everybody listening is aware, that's like my only actual like experience on L&D. <laughs> my professional experience has only been 
pediatric home health and now where I'm at, antepartum, postpartum. But there was a specific delivery. They literally just started like opening these little soap pouches. Layer it all in there. Yeah. Just pouring it over the vagina and the baby's head. And I was like, right. I mean, like, that like makes sense. Like, what, what the heck? Mm-hmm. And they're like, it, it's helpful. It can help with tearing and just kind of gives a little bit of slipperiness. Yeah. Like, Lube it all up. Yeah, exactly. Well, are there any other things that you can think of um, labor and delivery wise or maybe postpartum? I find postpartum a little harder to think of an example because when we see emergencies postpartum, it's typically not that all of what we've talked about is emergencies, but when I, like the big things I'm thinking of where I would not advise a patient deny care, um, if you're in the middle of hemorrhaging, right. our goal is to stop the bleeding. And I'm mm. not going to look at my patient as an right. advocate and say, hey, like, if you want to tell them no, go for it. Right. Because the alternative to that could be bleeding out. Like, that is not wise, right? Um, that's a very, like, dramatic example. I've never had a patient try to deny right, care right. during a hemorrhage. But um, if, it's, if a patient wants to deny blood products afterwards, and they're like, hemoglobin levels not crazy low, like, not dangerous low, hey, let's have a conversation about maybe an iron pill that you can take that's going to slowly raise your levels if you don't want a, like, blood product transfusion. Um, you know, conversations like that, I think, happen more often on the postpartum side. Um, of course, care for their babies is a big thing. Making sure that I'm educating, like, why are we running this test? Why are we, why is this standard? What's maybe an alternative? Um yeah, those are kind of the bigger ones um, on the postpartum side. And I know that another big one leading up to, like at the end of your pregnancy and leading up to labor and delivery, is the idea of induction, mm-hmm. which I know is a sore point for yours, your story as well, uh, in terms of like, what are reasons for induction? Like, why would we recommend it? What are reasons that mm-hmm. shouldn't it shouldn't be recommended? Um, and... Um, just the reality that like you can also, and you mentioned mm-hmm. this already, like you can say no, you can deny your induction bed. Um, a little like side note from like the OB perspective is that the OBs in terms of their license and legally, there's a risk towards the end of pregnancy. If you go too far, the chance for stillbirth or other complications do rise, right? Like that's the weighing the whole like risk benefit conversation, which happens a lot in medicine in general. Like, here's why we're recommending this and all the benefits. And also, we have to tell you, here are the risks. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a long-winded way to say that, like, inductions aren't always necessary. Of course, there's, like, medical reasons. It makes sense. Um, but I think that I think that nowadays, they're pushed a lot more often than they need to be. Yeah, out of a convenience factor. And that's a whole other conversation. But I think you you stated it perfectly, just saying of, like, your job and your hope and your prayer that in these like medical spaces that patients are given both the here's our recommendation, but here's the why. And I think that alone is miscommunicated or like completely left out of the conversation sometimes. Because even as like my husband and I were walking into induction, our son was doing great. We really weren't um, nervous about his timeline because we had known our conception date, but our hospital wasn't at a point to like adjust um, 
his gestational age or anything. So we knew as our family, Mm. what we felt comfortable with. And so by the time that we walked into the hospital, it was a different conversation. It was, Hey, like you're here for a non-stress test. And we saw some lates or D cells and your baby's heart rate by a a midwife that told me that by the time that I was like already set up in our room, that we were going to have that baby tonight because she had a wrist surgery the next day and she wanted to count it towards her stats. (laughs) That's literally a conversation I had with that midwife. So, okay. And again, like another nurse later in my care was I think my rock and encouragement to get me through my like five day hospital stay. She was the one that was like, actually, like I haven't seen lates or D cells in your baby the entire time you've been here. So I think even just the explanation, because my husband had to ask later after the emergent, you know, and it wasn't even emergent, but like whole big reaction to me staying at the hospital. We didn't even know what that meant until two days later where I had already been on like three rounds of Pitocin. We had done the Foley bulb and I like had a nurse that was like, can I explain anything to you that my husband was like, hey, the midwife that like told us we weren't allowed to leave didn't even explain what she was seeing on the monitor. Can you, can you explain that? So my husband's very like logical and wants to know things, but he was like, I want to be able to look for that or like possibly like understand better. And we, that wasn't even a part of the conversation. That like, I don't think I like knew that when you were like going through your stay and your delivery and everything. But also praise for logical husbands because I have one too. And I'm like, as an emotional wife, I'm like, uh, thank you <laughs> for being you. <laughs> yeah. side note. Um, but, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, that just like, that makes me sad as a nurse um, because likely you're, the midwife could have started as a nurse or, and probably did. Like that makes me sad as a nurse whose job is to advocate and to educate that like that wasn't explained. <laughs> Um, cause mm-hmm. on antepartum, we do those non-stress tests and monitoring, right. um, a lot as well. And so exactly like most of the time that I'm putting someone on, especially if they're new to being there. And honestly, even if they've been there a while, when I put them on the monitor, I pull up the computer screen and I'm like, Hey, can I explain anything to you? And I let them know, like this line here, we're measuring, we're looking at contractions. Yeah. This line here is your heart rate. This line here is baby's heart rate. Here's what I don't want to mm. see. Or if I have to go in because a baby is decelerating, um, I'll go in and I'll tell the mom, Hey, I'm just going to adjust some things. This is what I saw. This is why I don't like it. We're going to keep you on a little longer. Cause if this keeps happening, we want to know. It's like a very, mm-hmm. just, it doesn't stress them out. It, it gives them enough information. Yeah. I don't need to dive into the science behind it all necessarily, but it, the idea of just educating them, like, this is what we're looking for. Um, this is why we're monitoring you. This is why it matters. And at the end of the day, I have patients say, no, thanks. I'd like to come off the monitor. Mm. That's your choice. But I did my job in terms of educating and trying to advocate for both you and your baby because we've got two patients here, (laughs) you know, things like that. But Mm -hmm. anyways. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was perfect. And you're right. Like, ultimately, (laughs) it probably couldn't have been avoided. But I think this whole conversation, like, revolves around the point of in Western medicine, um, like, Yes, I think I lean more towards holistic preventative healthcare. I think that there's still a place for Western medicine. Like there's things that I would walk into the hospital and not want to treat at home, you know, but I think so much of walking into pregnancy, labor and delivery and postpartum care 
So much of my even mental and emotional well-being would have been comforted with a simple conversation of explanation of what we're doing or just education in general. Yeah. And I think um, now that I, and we, we can dive into this as much or as little as you want to, but like now that I've been a patient, because uh, I actually have never been a patient in my entire life. Like I had mm. friends in nursing school that were like, oh, I had cancer when I was little and the nurses were amazing. And that's why I want to be a nurse or things like that. I was like, well, I don't have a story like that. (laughs) I've now been a patient in this pregnancy. This pregnancy is turning out to look different than I expected. Um, Mm -hmm. But I can say that my, like my experience as a patient was phenomenal. And I don't know if I can attribute that to the fact that I was seeing doctors that I work with. So they know me, that could be part of it. And that. Sometimes I feel guilty for that. My husband reminded me that's a perk of the job. You know these people. Like, these are friendly faces. Right. Uh, as a nurse, I know that I can ask endless questions. <laughs> and if I forgot mm-hmm. to ask the question, I can ask more questions later. <laughs> um, right. So, anyways, that, that is that part of, like, like you were saying, it, it drastically can change the course of your treatment or at least your understanding if questions are asked and concerns and risks. And benefits are addressed. Yeah, definitely. If you feel comfortable, can we just start from the beginning of what your motherhood journey has looked like so far? So my husband and I um, started like trying for a family last spring. I was on birth control. We stopped birth control back in April and we um, got pregnant almost right away. Uh, We weren't expecting to. We knew it could take a while. But by the end of May, I had a positive pregnancy test. Um, which was just like, you know, we were so excited, realized like this could happen right away or it could take some time and we're good with either. Um, and anyways, so by beginning of July, mm-hmm. I had started bleeding, um, and I did end up miscarrying around like seven weeks pregnant, um, which is just hard. And like, that's an understatement. <laughs> it sucks. And the thought of like, being a mom being so exciting for like four weeks and just like, I've always dreamt of this moment. Like I've always wanted this. My husband even told me, he's like, you're so happy. And like, I wasn't sick and I was, I mean, I was a little mm. tired, but like, I was just excited. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it just like, it felt like it just got ripped away and you know, these could be different conversations, but like betrayal, uh, I felt like my body kind of betrayed me. Like, aren't you supposed to be able to do this? Like, why, why didn't you, why couldn't you like those kinds of conversations in my head, like to myself and then voicing them out Mm -hmm. loud and having people speak truth over those things. Um, anyways, all that to say, we like waited a couple months and, um, like let my body kind of reset cycle wise and ended up getting pregnant again in September Mm -hmm. and found out at our first like viability ultrasound because I was all stressy and again, advocated for myself to my OB. I said, Hey, I'm really stressed because last time I lost a baby at seven weeks, can we get an early ultrasound just to make sure everything looks good and everything's like where it's supposed to be. So at seven weeks, we found out we were actually expecting twins. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Two babies. <laughs> Two babies. And so that's kind of, that's been the journey. That's how it started. Before we dive into, um, 
what your pregnancy looks like now, what were some of the, because I think this is just fascinating and always a wise conversation to have um, in general and helpful for listeners as friends of friends navigate friends that have lost their babies. Um, What were some of the best encouragements that you received from people during that time? And what were some of the worst things that you heard from people during that time? Off the top of my head, some of the like best things. I had a friend of mine that had walked through a miscarriage herself a couple of years ago, brought me flowers, which is just always mm-hmm. neat and like life-giving. At least I find them life-giving to look at. I probably had like three or four bouquets of flowers that week, which was just nice to look at, right? Like fills your home with color and joy and life. Um, and she brought me a journal that was like 31 days of... Um, like biblical truth and someone else's journey yeah. and like thoughts and everything walking through their miscarriage. Mm. And it was very like that journal was felt, I, I felt very seen. I was like, Oh, okay. So my thought that my body failed me, like, isn't true. My thought that like, if I had done X, Y, Z, this could have been prevented. Isn't true. Mm, I thought yeah. that because I was only seven weeks along, it doesn't really matter. Isn't true. And I was very intentional. Like I bought a separate journal and I like worked through that. I had another friend who offered to start a meal train, which of course is always like a burden lifted when like someone provides a meal, regardless of what season you're in. And something that I told her, I said, I would absolutely love that. But I think what Mm -hmm. I would love more instead of people just like dropping off food on the porch saying, see ya, I would love to have a meal with people because right now it feels really lonely. Like I feel lonely. My husband and I feel like isolated. Right. Can we adjust that a little bit? And if someone's going to make us food, can they invite us to their home or like come eat with us at our home and we can have community time? Um, That was like me advocating for something that I needed, but like there's an idea going forward. Like don't just like drop a casserole off and leave. Offer like, hey, would you like some company tonight? Yeah. Offering to just come like sit and have coffee. Um, People just validating that like, I'm still a mom and my desire was still there. Um, All of the love is still there. Like anything like that. Very validating. Things that were not helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think people hopefully are hearing this more and more these days. But the any comment that starts with at least is probably not going to be helpful. <laughs> Period. That's like that should be the end of that. But let me give an example. At least you were only seven weeks. No, that was four weeks because I found out once I kind of backdated. I was like, I found out closer to like the three week mark. I was like, that was four weeks of like expected excitement and all the things that just feels like completely ripped from me. Yeah. What do you mean? At least I was seven weeks. Like, <laughs> at least you didn't need a procedure mm-hmm. or a DNC, and your body passed it naturally. No, sis. It I mean, all yeah, sucks. I'm really. <laughs> thankful my body (laughs) it all sucks (laughs) I sure am thankful my body passed everything naturally and I didn't need a procedure but like I also would still really like to be pregnant right now right at least no (laughs) right like so that's my those those are a couple examples of like that's a great point at least statements just just don't ever say them yeah that just should be like period yeah let's not at least (laughs) yeah so anyways that's just a couple thoughts on Mm -hmm. on that No, those were perfect and so, so helpful. What has it looked like? You've touched on a little bit by advocating for yourself, um, but to fight 
for hope and joy in the midst of fear and anxiety, like having two babies now after loss or having any babies after a loss? How do you fight fear in those moments? And maybe this can touch into what pregnancy looks like right now for you. Yeah. I mean, the like broad statement would be by fighting those lies with truth, but that's not always easy. And I like completely acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Like end of the day, I need to fight my lies with something that's true. And being able to identify when I have like a fear-based thought literally like will stop moving or doing whatever I'm doing. And I will say like, and sometimes I'll say out loud sometimes it's in my head and like, that is a statement. That is a fear. That is a thought from not from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like I literally have to stop myself and say like, that is not from the Lord. Like his intention is life and beauty and like pregnancy is beautiful and I have to like remind myself of just like all these, like he is powerful and he is all knowing and he is a provider and he is a right. healer and like all of like literally all the basic truths to fight whatever fear it is that I'm having, um, mm-hmm. which early on was the idea that I could, you know, miscarry again. Once I hit the second trimester, I thought like, oh, I'll be good. Like I made it to the second trimester. Well, then I was just scared of a second yeah. trimester loss and like having to go to the hospital and deliver my baby only to not take my baby home. Uh, I'm only at 22 weeks with twins, which isn't this like peri viability stage where they're like almost there. (laughs) If it was a singleton at 22 weeks, there's a chance that they could survive. Twins are just a little too small. This is all, you know, the medical side, the neonatology side of medicine gotcha. says that this is kind of that peri viability stage. So for me mentally, I'm like really itching to get to like the 23, 24 week mark, just in terms of my baby's like chances outside of my womb. Not to say I would like to deliver in the next two weeks, but fighting. But medically, their percentage goes up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just gotcha. in terms of resources and the size of medical equipment and things that they would need. Um, we're in this stage right now where like their chances would not be good outside of the womb. And so even right now, and especially like last week I had a procedure to help the twins and that's why I'm now on bed rest and fighting mentally fighting through, like it was, it was a really hard mental hurdle for me last week, knowing that I will likely need this procedure. And I really, really, really wanted to get to 23 or 24 weeks before having the procedure. And it was advised that I have it last week. And mentally, I was like, get to the point that I realized like, okay, I'm not at viability. But also based off our conversations with the doctors, my babies could potentially not make it to that point if I wait. Yeah. How the heck do you make those decisions as a mom and a dad of like, it's just, I've never been in that kind of situation. Again, it, it, it could be a long story, so I'm going to stop rambling. I love tearing your heart in that. Man, it's so hard to fight the feelings sometimes. Because like the Lord, I have to go back and like remind myself that the Lord gave us feelings, but exactly like you said, the Lord did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and self-control. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And of sound mind and other translations. So like depending on, I think the root of the fear that I'm processing in that moment, like if the Lord gave me a sound mind, then that voice that tells me I'm a mistake or I failed, or if I had just done blank, then I wouldn't have delivered this way, looked this way, my baby is blank, you know, if I had been a better mom, whatever, like that doesn't sound like God's voice. But it's so hard sometimes to like pause, I think for mothers too, in the midst of those moments to remind yourself of 
this doesn't sound like God's voice no. when it's all you feel right then. Right. And our feelings not feelings aren't bad, but I think what I've realized is like they can't always be trusted. Mm-hmm. And I really have to like weed through like what what are my feelings right now? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what is and, and this is where like I made the comment like praise for logical husbands because in all of my emotion, I can bring my emotional thoughts to my husband. And he's like, okay, let me like, this doesn't make sense. And that, you know, he's very gentle with it. But yes, sifting through it. (laughs) I know I joke around that Joseph is like the cool cucumber to my crazy because man, I don't know if I could like, take a day from like inside out, you know, and just like crawl into his brain and just like watch everybody interact. It would be super chill. Whereas like, if you were to crawl into my brain for one day, it's like that meme of the dog where like his whole house is on fire and he's like sitting at the table and he's like, it's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> I could not relate to any of that more. Like, <laughs> I feel like I wouldn't know what to do if I stepped inside my husband's brain. I'd be like, is there, is there something wrong? Like, right. how, how are we not like a Zen garden it? or something? Yeah. <laughs> everything's so organized and makes sense that it's so calm in here (laughs) crazy so what are some of the and you can feel free to be as transparent as you like but some of the things that you're most excited about as a twin mama and the reality of having two babies rather than one as a first-time mama I mean blanket statement is that I am excited but I'm also so I don't want to say fearful but I'm just like maybe eager to kind of actually experience that because my excitement levels through the roof and so is my right you know this could be super overwhelming or what if I can't do this like all of those like doubts and fears and everything are also very present so when I say I'm excited it's not like I'm only excited like I've got no mm-hmm. other opinions and feelings but I am super excited these these seem kind of cliche but like just like my husband put together our stroller the other night um and like seeing two seats I'm like what like is this real life like mm. two babies and we, we know that they're baby boys so it's like two little boys like what in the world mm-hmm. even just like like we have a friend who has um we have a friend here who they have a almost three-year-old and almost one-year-old they're both boys and even though they're not twins, just like seeing them interact as brothers and like seeing the parents and how much they love their boys. And they just think their boys are like so funny. Again, not that like mm-hmm. parenting super easy for them because they have a toddler and a one-year-old, but they just like, they just make it look so fun. And I think Kaden and I both are just like so excited to experience the world through kids. And I say that from a very naive standpoint of obviously not having a kid yet. So I'm not claiming it's going to be easy. There's no way it can be. Yeah, I mean, right before this conversation, I was telling you about the big feelings and utter exhaustion. But I say that in terms of, I wouldn't go as, and this may sound wrong, but I won't even go as far as say like the good moments outweigh the bad, but the good moments are so good in a way that I could have never understood or experienced or hoped for in motherhood that the bad sometimes Mm. is equally as bad, you know, but there's just something else about those really sweet and good moments that it does ultimately make it worth it. But I think they're equally big moments. Yeah. 
air. And I think that's my assumption is that like, that's the Lord's grace. Mm. And I'm nervous for probably a lot of things. I'm nervous that uh, the doubts and, you know, nerves that I won't be enough or I won't be able to do it all or how the heck do you take care of two at one time and at the same time, I know, like, I'll, I'll get through it. Like, it's going to be a big transition. Um, but I've got an amazing husband. We have an amazing community of people around us. Um, my mom's going to come out and help us for a few months, which I'm super, super thankful for. Um, just super blessed in a lot of ways. And knowing that we're not alone. Like, that's probably the biggest part of like, I, I can do this, like, because I'm not facing it alone. Definitely. No, those are great. I'm so excited for you. But um, I'm really glad that you have, as sad as I am that you're not here, I'm sad that you have people around you. So as we wrap up, um, are there any places that our community can connect with you if you feel open to sharing more about um, your story? Yeah, I basically only have Instagram and Facebook. I've got nothing extra out there yet or as of now, but um I think my handle on Instagram is Brianna.n.white. Uh, and there's a lot of Brianna White on Facebook. But you can find me there. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, that's, that's kind of it for now. I've been toying around with sharing some more of this, uh, you know, the twin-related stuff that we've been dealing with the past couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that'll probably make its way onto social media just in terms of if people need a place to look for. I found a lot of support and like eased my mind to read other twin mama stories. So I I feel this pull to like mm, mm-hmm. share our experience in some way. And I'm not sure yet. Is that a blog? Is that a vlog? Is it just on social media? But anyway, keep an eye out. Yeah. Well, we'll be here for it. <laughs> we'll support here. So our last question um, is for all of our guests that we have. And if you could provide any wisdom to your younger self or a community that is listening, what would you share? <sighs> I I think to my younger self and to like younger girls in general, I wish that I was gentler on myself. Mm. I know that's really broad, but just from everything from body image and my relationship to food, to my relationship with exercise, to my expectations on myself, like, gosh, I was hard on myself and I still have those tendencies. But I wish I just would have given myself a little more grace that like, you're doing awesome for being a 16 year old or a 22 year old or you know, whatever it is, that would just be it to just be gentle and gracious. Definitely. Wow, Brie, this has been such a life giving conversation. And I've just loved hearing more about ways that we can advocate for ourselves. And I'm super excited to see you grow as a twin mama. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And we will catch you guys in the next episode. Thank you for having me. This episode of If Only Our Wiser has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more episodes so you don't miss any encouragement. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to build our community and share more about topics that will be healing and helpful for you. See you in the next episode.